are listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. This scripture is from the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, the gospel concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for the sake of his name, including yourselves who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all God's beloved in Rome who are called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for that reading, Pam. Um, now. As you might have been able to figure out from that scripture reading, uh, we are kicking off a brand new teaching series today, focusing on the book of Romans. And I am pretty excited about this one. And I know not everyone is as familiar with the Bible. You might not have, you know, the background of where Romans fits. So before we get started, I just want to give you uh, a quick little lay of the land, a sense of where we're at. On the screen right now, I have listed for you all the books of the New Testament, the 27 books that make up the Christian chunk of our Bibles. And the New Testament starts off with the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the books that tell us the story of Jesus. Then we get the book of Acts, which tells the story of the early church. And then the very next book is Romans. Romans is an epistle, uh, which is a fancy word for letter. And in fact, the rest of the New Testament is made up of letters written by early followers of Jesus to various uh, churches, communities, and individuals in the early church. You've got letters attributed to John, James, Peter, a bunch of other folks. But by far the most prolific letter writer in the New Testament is Paul. 13 of the letters in the New Testament are attributed to Paul which means that this guy is credited with writing almost half the books of the New Testament. Now, you can actually read Paul's story in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 9 tells us the story of Paul's conversion. Uh, and then most of the rest of the book of Acts is actually about Paul, his, his work as a missionary and a leader in the early church. But Paul started out as a Pharisee. Uh, he was part of this elite, set-apart group within Judaism that was dedicated to living in strict adherence to the law. He was also a persecutor of the early church. Uh, before his conversion to Christianity, Paul's job was basically to go from town to town, rounding up the Christians and having them tried as heretics. Uh, if you've ever heard of the story of Saul who became Paul, that's this guy. Now, Paul eventually had this very dramatic turn in his life. He became a, a follower of Jesus. He converted to the faith he once persecuted. And he went on to become a missionary, planting churches all across the Mediterranean world. And it's the letters that Paul wrote to those churches while on his journeys that make up about half the New Testament. Now, I've been the pastor here at, at this church, Brockport First Baptist, <clears throat> for almost two years now, if you can believe it. It's, it's been that long. 
And in that time, we've covered a lot of ground together. Uh, I've preached on uh, the opening part of Genesis, Psalms, the book of Jonah. We've looked at the Gospels. We've actually spent a lot of time talking about the, the life and teachings of Jesus in the Gospels. But in almost two years together at this church, this is our first foray into the writings of Paul. And of course, we're starting off big with with Romans, his longest letter, because, you know, go big or go home, right? Uh, But this book is really like nothing we've studied together so far. There's no real story in the book of Romans. There's very little narrative in this book. It's, It's really just prose, ideas, arguments, teachings, things like that. Uh, The book is incredibly complex. It's notoriously difficult to read and understand. And yet Romans is also widely viewed as Paul's most important letter. In fact, many have even argued that Romans is the most important book of the entire New Testament. Entire denominations have formed based on differences in interpreting this book. Churches have split over it. Hundreds upon hundreds of books and commentaries have been written through the years, all focused on this one letter written by a guy named Paul to the Christians living in Rome. That's the world we're diving into with this series. Now, this sermon is going to be more of an introduction. Uh, In fact, this is one that you might want to bookmark or save and revisit periodically as we work our way through Romans. Because in the next 20 minutes or so, we're going to be unpacking a lot of background information to help guide us through this book. And I want to start off by looking at the structure of Romans. Because when you're dealing with a book that's this complex, sometimes it's helpful to sort of divide and conquer, to to get a lay of the land, understand how everything fits together, what are the different pieces of this book. Now, there's probably about a dozen different ways you could outline a book like Romans, uh, but here's how I think about it. You've you've basically got four distinct parts to this letter. Chapters 1 through 8 is what I'd label the theology section. This is where we get the bulk of the really dense stuff, the doctrine. Uh, Paul talks about his view of sin, grace, salvation, the gospel, the relationship between faith and law. A lot of big theological ideas are packed into the first half of this book. This is also where the letter gets its reputation as this like grand theological treatise. And and this is by far the part of the book that has received the most attention over the years. The next section of Romans chapters 9 to 11 is an exploration of the relationship between Israel and the church. Because remember, Paul is Jewish. He's a former Pharisee. And and at this part in history, um, Christianity is still viewed as a sect within Judaism. But in these three chapters, Paul is wrestling with the fact that the bulk of his fellow Jews have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Third section of Romans, chapters 12 to 15, deals with much more practical stuff. How are Christians supposed to live in community? You know, ethics, morality. How are we to conduct ourselves in society? What's the relationship between the church and political power? Stuff like that. Then, last but not least, in chapter 16, when Paul signs off and concludes this letter, we finally get a sense of the context he's writing to. In the final chapter of Romans, Paul gives his personal greetings to specific individuals he knew who were part of the church in Rome. 
Chapter 16 is an incredibly important part of this book. Uh, it's a real shame, actually, that we don't get a feel for that context he's writing to earlier on. Um, Paul waits until the very end of the letter to actually address people personally. Um, but I think that actually helps explain how Romans got the reputation it has today as this lofty, inaccessible book of doctrine. I mean, because it starts off with just this this theological dump in the first eight chapters, right? And, and so, like, most people view Romans as this abstract collection of theology, really dry to read, super hard to follow, not worth spending a lot of time on. You know, it, it, it's like, uh, give us the gospels, right? Give us some stories, something we can actually sink our teeth into and relate to. But there is a story in this book. There is a context Paul is writing to in his letter to the Romans. And I believe that context is not only the key to understanding this book, it's the key to bringing Romans to life. So with the rest of the time we have today in this message, I want to focus on who the book of Romans was written to and why Paul wrote this letter. What was it about the Christians in Rome that they needed this particular message at this particular time? And why was Paul the one to deliver that message? Because as we see, anytime we read the Bible, context is everything. So let's get into it. Uh, and let's start with actually the end of our scripture reading for today, verse 7 of Romans chapter 1. To all God's beloved in Rome, who are called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in a unique position when it comes to the book of Romans. Because unlike some of Paul's other letters, we actually know a lot about what was going on in Rome at the time Paul wrote this letter. Uh, probably in like the mid to late 50s AD. The Bible gives us a lot of clues, um, but we also have a lot of information from history about what it would have been like to be Jewish and Christian in Rome at the time of Paul. Rome was the center of the world at this point in history. It was the political, cultural, and uh, economic epicenter. I mean, imagine like, like New York City, LA, and Washington DC all rolled into one. That was Rome at the time Paul wrote this letter. And the Christians Paul is writing to were living right at the center of it all. Uh, we know from the people Paul greets at the end of Romans in chapter 16, the, the names he uses, how he talks to them, we know there's a wide variety of people uh, in the Christian community in Rome. Uh, rich and poor, slave and free, Jew and Gentile. Rome was a cultural crossroads of the ancient world, a, a melting pot, if you will. Uh, and the Roman churches really reflect that diversity. Now, the churches in Rome would have been started by Jewish Christians. Uh, again, Christianity started as a Jewish thing, a Jewish uh, movement. And we know that uh, the early Christians went out from Jerusalem and they founded little house churches all over the Roman Empire. Uh, this would have been like in the, the immediate aftermath of Jesus' resurrection. So we're talking like mid-30s through the 40s AD. Christians are going out, starting all these churches. And we know for a fact that Christianity got to Rome very early. Because in the year 41, the emperor Claudius actually kicked the Jews out of Rome. It's a pretty dark story. Uh, the emperor expelled all the Jews from the city because of riots that were breaking out in the synagogues over debates about some guy named Crestus. Now, we actually find references to this in the official Roman documents and records from that time. Here's a quote from, from Divus Claudius, chapter 25, which is an official Roman record uh, from the time. 
Since the Jews constantly made disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, he, that is the emperor, expelled them from Rome. Now, historians are pretty much agreed that there wasn't an actual person named Crestus who was going around causing trouble in the Roman synagogues at the time. Crestus was not a common name, especially uh, among Jews, uh, and there's no evidence of, of this Crestus guy existing beyond this edict. But Crestus does sound an awful lot like a Roman mispronunciation of another word, Christus or Christ. So in the year 41, the emperor expels all the Jews from the city of Rome because debates are breaking out in the synagogues about this guy named Christ. Within a decade or so of Jesus' resurrection, the Jewish Christians are already present in Rome, stirring up trouble in the synagogues by preaching about Jesus. We even get a reference to this in Acts chapter 18, when Paul first meets Priscilla and Aquila, uh, this Christian couple who were leaders in the church of Rome. Uh, the text tells us that Priscilla and Aquila were living in Corinth at the time because they're part of the Jewish community that was kicked out of Rome. So these small house churches in Rome, they're started by Jewish Christians very, very early on. Then the emperor kicks all the Jews out of the city, and you'd think that'd be the end of it, right? Like, like no more church in Rome. <clears throat> Except that it wasn't, because these Jewish Christians had already attracted Gentile converts. There were already Gentiles, or non-Jews, who had joined the Roman churches. So while the Jewish uh, leadership of the churches, while they're expelled from Rome, the churches they established continue to grow and flourish under Gentile leadership. And that's where things start to get dicey. <laughs> because in the year 54 AD, 13 years after Claudius kicked the Jews out of Rome, he dies. And the new emperor, a guy named Nero, allows the Jews to come back to the city. Now you've probably heard of Nero, he was a bad guy too. Uh, he would go on to scapegoat the Jews for pretty much every little problem in the empire, so he probably had you know mixed motivations for allowing them back in, but Hey, at least he let them back in, I guess, right? <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, what that all means is, for 13 years, the churches in Rome are being led and shaped by Gentile Christians. Then the emperor dies. The Jewish Christians come back to Rome. They return to these churches that they started, only to find that the Gentiles are now running the show. And it doesn't take a lot of imagination to understand what that would have been like. I mean, imagine if we were all kicked out of Brockport for some reason, <laughs> all right? And imagine if a bunch of outsiders came in and took over this church, Brockport First Baptist, the, the church that a lot of you were raised in and, and the only church some of you have ever known. Imagine a bunch of outsiders coming in here and taking over for a decade. I mean, my gosh, it wouldn't even be the same church, right? Like, like as the pastor, I can just hear the complaining now. Uh, uh, they're doing everything wrong. Uh, they read the Bible differently than, than we do. Uh, uh, can you believe they let those people in? Ah, oh, the music, it's just too loud. Right, you, ho hopefully, hopefully this gives you a picture. And you know what? I'm betting that you would probably want your church back Two. Am I right? Do you see how this would have been a source for serious conflict? And then couple all of that 
with the tensions that existed at the time between Jews and Gentiles anyway. I mean, if you're a Jewish Christian, your old church is now being run by the people who kicked you out of your home. I mean, it's, it's not the exact same people, right? But they speak the same language. They have the same accents and traditions. They look like them. They dress like them. How could you ever trust these people again, right? And then if you're a Gentile Christian, if you're on the other side of this divide, you've been running this church now for 13 years. I mean, you're practically a pro at this. You don't know anything about Judaism, this this foreign culture, this foreign religion that, that all your neighbors are suspicious of anyway. You don't know their scriptures. You don't know their ways. You don't care about their laws. And, and now these outsiders have the audacity to look down on you? Do you see what it would have been like to be a Christian in Rome at the time Paul wrote this letter? Like, can you feel the, the cultural, social, and religious powder keg that Paul is just waltzing into? <laughs> the Jewish Christians see the Gentile Christians as a bunch of unclean, untrustworthy oppressors who don't even follow the Bible. And the Gentile Christians see the Jews as a bunch of backwards, hypocritical, second-class citizens. This is dicey. And of course, this is nothing at all like anything we face today, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no. Actually, I don't know if this letter has ever been more relevant than it is right now. We are so divided as a church, as a society, as a culture. There are so many stories, so many different ideologies, allegiances, competing for our attention, competing to define us. We're divided among political lines, national lines, denominational lines, regional lines, racial lines. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said that 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings is the most segregated hour of the week. And that's even more true today than it was in the 1960s. And then with like the rise of the alt-right, and more extreme political movements in the, in the U.S. and Europe, we're even seeing a return to that ugly old suspicion of Jews by some Christians. Like, remember all those protesters at the University of Virginia a couple years back? They were carrying torches and chanting, Jews will not replace us? Yeah, scary, scary stuff. We are just as divided today as the Christian community was in Rome. And I believe that we need Paul's message in the book of Romans today more than ever. You know, Paul gets a bad rap among many in the church today. Uh, and we'll get into that in future weeks, trust me. We're going we're gonna to explore just who Paul was uh, as we go through the series. But he mostly gets a bad rap because Christians throughout the ages have used Paul's writings to marginalize just about every group you can think of. You know, women, minorities, LGBTQ folks, Jews. But I don't actually think that's a fair representation at all of who Paul was and what his ministry was all about. Paul is the perfect person to bridge this divide in the Roman church. He's a Pharisee, part of the most elite, law-abiding, and we might even say judgmental segment of ancient Judaism, who meets Jesus, becomes a Christian, and then dedicates his life to spreading the gospel to non-Jews, to outsiders. And in spite of, of how some of Paul's writings have been used to exclude others, the heart of his ministry was inclusion. 
Paul's innovation was in seeing that the gospel, this way of Jesus, is for everybody. If it weren't for Paul, Christianity would probably have just been some short-lived Jewish sect. None of us non-Jewish folks would be Christians today if it weren't for Paul. He was the ultimate insider who dedicated his life to the inclusion of outsiders. Outsiders like us. That's why Paul is the perfect person to bridge this divide in Rome between Jews and Gentiles. The Jewish Christians respect him. I mean, this guy's a Pharisee for crying out loud. And the Gentile Christians recognize him as an ally. And Paul's message to the Roman Christians is spelled out right at the beginning, right in the opening lines of his letter. Look at how he introduces himself in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. Paul's a servant of Jesus, or a slave of Jesus, more literally. He's a, he's a Jesus freak, someone who has dedicated his life to the teachings of Jesus. And he's also an apostle, which is basically like a, messer, uh, a messenger, someone, someone who is sent to proclaim a message, the good news. That's an apostle. And Paul in his day was known specifically as the apostle to the Gentiles. He had developed a bit of a reputation for taking the gospel to people who weren't supposed to receive it, right? So Paul's a slave of Jesus Christ. He's an apostle to Gentiles, but then he also describes himself as set apart for the gospel of God. Now, believe it or not, Paul's actually being punny here (laughs) because the word set apart, aphorismenos in Greek, is also where we get the word Pharisee. Do you see it? Ah, Ferris menos? Yeah, the word Pharisee literally means set apart ones. Paul is a Pharisee, he's a set apart one, only now he's set apart for the gospel. See, in these opening lines of the letter, Paul is doing something incredibly clever. He's bringing together his story with God's story. He's, he's drawing on the intersection between his life and the gospel. Because Paul is like anybody else. There, there are a lot of different stories that define Paul in some way. There's a lot of different stories wrapped up in his life. National stories, religious stories, political stories, cultural stories. He's a Jew and a Pharisee and a Jesus freak and an apostle. All those stories are wrapped up in the gospel. Paul is someone who's been caught up and reshaped by the story of Jesus. And his mission in this letter is to communicate that story to the Christians in Rome so that they can get caught up in it too. Because the only way we are ever going to overcome all that divides us, the only way to find healing and to be made whole is to get caught up in the story of Jesus. We are not that different from the Christians in Rome. We are living in the United States of America, the center of political, economic, and cultural power. We're part of the biggest, most dominant superpower the world has ever seen. We have a whole host of stories that define and that often divide us. And if we wanna have any hope of moving forward as a church, welcoming outsiders, overcoming our own divisions to join in the work of God here in this community, we've got to get our stories entangled with the Jesus story. We need to get caught up in the good news of Christ 
just like Paul was. And what is that good news? What does that gospel look like? Well, it's pretty well summarized by Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, the gospel concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for the sake of his name, including yourselves who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And of course, Paul announced that good news to all God's beloved in Rome who are called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's a mouthful, and believe it or not, those first seven verses are all one sentence in the Greek. You know, Paul, Paul's a little verbose, <laughs> but we're going to be unpacking all that in the weeks ahead as we dive deeper and deeper into this letter. Don't worry if there's a lot there that you still don't understand. That is normal, and we will get to it. But for now, that is an introduction to the book of Romans. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, thank you for bringing us together in this virtual space. Thank you for giving us a challenging and fascinating book like Romans that continues to speak to us and challenge us today. Help us to get caught up in your story, the story of good news concerning your son and the kingdom that he inaugurated. Help us to be kingdom people, Lord, and may the story of Jesus unite us over all the forces that seek to divide. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.